This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris Ifield, lead pastor here at Grace River Church, and I want to say thank you so much for watching online at home today. Man, we all have a next step to take on our spiritual journey, and this summer is a great time for you to take one of those next steps. And so my hope and my prayer is that through uh, this brand new sermon series that you can take some next steps as you meet, know, and follow Jesus. As I mentioned, this is a new sermon series that starts this weekend uh, called Threaded. And the idea is that uh, every story in the Bible is actually connecting us to the heart of Jesus. In fact, uh, many people would look at the Bible and say, well, the Bible is, uh, is a set of stories. And what I'm here today to tell you is the Bible is not really a set of stories at all. Like, uh, maybe you grew up going to church or you grew up with a little bit of framework about the Bible and some of the stories in the Bible, whether it's David and Goliath or Noah uh, or Abraham. And I want you to know the Bible is not a set of stories. The Bible is a single story pointing us to the Savior, the person, Jesus. And so uh, that's really uh, what the Bible's all about. And I thought that we would take some time today in the first week of this series to kind of talk about one of the very first stories in the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. And it's the story about uh, God creating mankind, creating Adam, and also God creating Eve, uh, and the decision they made that introduced sin into the world. And so uh, as we talk today, that's really what we're going to talk about. We're going to see how uh, this story is actually going to connect us to Jesus. So in the first story in the Bible... Uh, we see woven into the fabric of that story this desire that God has to be with us. And so uh, God begins to lay the framework early on here in this story uh, to help us to understand uh, our need for a Savior, our need for a rescuer, His only Son, Jesus. And so uh, there's a few ideas that I want to share with you that, that are threaded throughout this story, and we're going to kind of take some breaks as we read Genesis chapter 3 together. But the first truth of, or the first thread that I want to share with you uh, is that there is always a lie that we buy. So there's always a lie that we buy. That's the first thing I want you to understand as we unpack Genesis chapter 3. There's always a lie that we buy. Now, I want you to observe what that lie is here in the story, but also the lie that we begin to buy in our own lives. And so uh, there's some direct parallels between the struggle that Adam and Eve have had and also the struggle that we currently have. And so let's dive into this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 uh, says this. The serpent was the, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say, uh, you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? And so um, we, a little background on the story. God creates this amazing garden, the Garden of Eden, for Adam and Eve to live in. And uh, he, he lets them be over the animals. He's he's walking with them in the cool of the evening. They have fellowship and great relationship together. And then uh, the serpent comes along to deceive or to lie to Eve. And at first, uh, the serpent, Satan, is making this out almost like a joke. Did God really say? And what he's doing is he's actually setting up the lie that she's about to buy. And so we see this here in verse 2. Of course, uh, we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And so, again, part of the lie that she begins to buy is this idea that it's not any of the fruit from any of the trees. And then she corrects, she's baited, she corrects the serpent and says, well, there's just this one tree that we can't eat from. God said, you must not eat 
uh, or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And this is very dramatic, right? Like they don't want to experience death. Up until this point, they haven't experienced death. In fact, up until this point, they don't even know about each other's names, Adam and Eve don't. Because why would you have to even have a name for someone when there's just another one of you around? That's it, right? So it's not like there was multiple people that they had to sort through. And so we're going to get to that in just a second, though, as we break down the story. But here's, here comes the lie here in verse 4. You won't die. That's the direct lie from Satan. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God, here's the second lie. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. This is really three lies all wrapped up here uh, that Satan is. Knowing both good and evil. Man, don't buy the lie. They were tempted, and we know what they end up doing. They take from the fruit of the tree. But the reason why they do is they buy the lie. And here's the direct thread in our own lives that I want to examine for a second. What lie are you buying today? Like, what is it that you think, man, if I just had this, I'd feel complete. If I just made this much money, if I just lived in this kind of a house, if I just had these kinds of relationships, if I just had this, then I'd be made whole. And I want you to know, nothing outside of God is going to make you whole. And the lie that we often buy is that, man, if I can just have this, then I'll be complete. My eyes will be opened up. I'll be like my own God. I'll be able to run my own life. And so my, my concern for you and my, I guess what I want to warn you about today is, is just don't buy the lie, man. Like when you see it coming, make a decision to go, man, I'm not going to buy into that. The second thing, uh, the second thread that I think that we can put out in the story is the sin that we do. The sin that we all do. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. The woman was convinced. So, so she buys the lie. She's convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. And that's the way sin is, right? Sin is always packaged up in things that we think, man, there's no way that could hurt me. Look how, look how beautiful it is. Look how delicious it is, right? And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Ah, and then she, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he, well, he ate it too. And this is the sin that we all do. Temptation comes, we buy the lie, we commit the sin, which always leads to the third thread that we experience, which is the shame, the shame that we feel. It's because when you, when you sin and when you make mistakes and you, when you do things that you regret and have remorse about, there's always this little moment where you, you feel it. And it's the shame that you feel. And I want you to know something today. I want to lean into this moment for you. God never designed you to feel that shame. That shame only comes as a result of sin. That shame only comes as a result of our own brokenness. And here in verse 7 uh, is the sad part of what they experience and the sad part of what we experience. Verse 7, at that moment their eyes, they were opened. And so Satan wasn't lying about that. But they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Up until this point, they didn't even know they were naked, right? They just, this is what they, this is how they were created. But when their eyes are opened up, they experience shame for the first time. When sin is introduced into the world, the byproduct of sin is shame. And it is a shame because today you and I could still be living without sin and without shame, but this moment introduces sin into the world, and so now you and I are just as broken 
as our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve. So, so they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And there's a, there's a problem here with fig leaves. What's the problem? The moment you take a fig tree off a tree, well, it's dead, right? And that's like some really uncomfortable undergarment wear, right? Like that's not, they eventually get crunchy, but, and, and they eventually don't serve a purpose. And they needed a covering, essentially, but they were, they were trying to cover themselves with what they had. And that's kind of what we do. And in fact, that's exactly what we do, is that when we experience shame, what we do is we try to cover ourselves with what we have. So, but the problem with what we have, and the reason why this is threaded directly to us, is that what we have was never designed to cover up our shame. In fact, the only solution, solution to our sin, the only solution to our shame, is the person Jesus, which leads us to the, the fourth concept, is the places that we run. The places that we run. When we sin, we experience shame, and that shame makes us want to hide and run. And we see here in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, this is typically when they would spend time with God, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now, uh, what you don't know is historically in ancient Israel, uh, where this is all taking place, a garden would be a place where people would gather. This is where community would happen, right? So similar to like a coffee shop today or a restaurant or someone's living room, like a garden uh, wasn't just a place for you to grow lettuce and tomatoes. Like a garden was a place of community. And this is where they would have community with God. And so this is where they would spend typically before sin is introduced in the world, this is where they would spend time with God was in the garden. And so the Lord God walking about in the garden and, and so they hear God, they know he's walking around. So they hid they, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where, where are you? And this is not a question of geography because God actually knows where Adam is because he's God. He's asking where his heart is because he knew that Adam was running. And here, here's what I need you to understand about God today is God knows everything there is to know about you. And he's still crazy about you. Like if there's ever a mark of a true friend, the mark of a true friend is someone who knows everything there is to know about you and still loves you. And the amazing thing about God is that's the kind of friend that we have in God, is God is crazy about us. So the places that we often run ourselves, threading this story back to us, if we, if we examine and really look at the story, man, we really run really four places. I'm going to talk about all four of them briefly, right? We run to ourselves. Like that's Typically, when you mess up, when you make mistakes, whenever you experience guilt and shame, you know you've done wrong. One of the things that I know that I can do is that I think, okay, I can fix this. I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I'll, I'll heal that relationship. I'll make that right. I'll figure this out. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put this on my own back, and I'm going to redeem myself. And the problem with that is this. It comes from a worldly philosophy that teaches the idea that you can become a better version of you. And the problem with that is you're never going to become a better version of you. Here's why I know that. Without Jesus, you're not better off than you were 10 years ago. Like the people that were thinking, I'm going to be a better version of me 10 years ago, they're still the same today. Why? Because they're still there. They're still in the picture. So we oftentimes run to this self-help idea that, man, I'm going to, I'm going to muster this up myself. I'm going to fix this myself. And here's what I need you to feel relief about today. You can't do this yourself. 
what you're doing is you're sewing together fig leaves if you're trying to figure this out yourself. We oftentimes run to others. So if I can't fix it, then I'm going to run to somebody else. I'm going to run to a best friend that's going to offer me bad advice. I'm going to run uh, to a new relationship that's going to make me feel better about myself momentarily. We run to others, and we, we can even do this with our kids. We run to them thinking that, uh, that, that they're going to fill this void in our lives or make us feel like we're valuable or make, we, make us feel like we don't have all this regret and shame in our lives. But what we soon find out is this, is those people let us down too, or we let them down. So there's a problem with running to others. We can also run to things. So we often think, man, if I can just get some retail therapy and maybe I get a new watch, get a new car, get a new outfit, whatever, right? And momentarily, all of that can make you feel better about yourself just, just for a brief moment. But the really difficult thing about our things is that they're just things. And even the stuff that you got last Christmas, you're probably not even using right now. Think about that for a second. All of the stuff that you have in your life that you think is making you whole is actually the very thing that owns you. Like you don't own it, it owns you. And so maybe it's your, your house that's way too expensive or your car that you shouldn't have bought or all the stuff in your life that's just weighing you down. The difficulty, thing, the difficulty is, is that oftentimes that stuff ends up owning you and it doesn't bring healing to you. In fact, it actually just adds more weight into your life. And the fourth thing that we often run to when we're in trouble is we run to religion. And I know that sounds odd to say, but like, I'm not talking about running to a relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about running to religious practice. And what religion does is religion makes you oftentimes feel more guilty. Oftentimes religion is the very thing that you run to that makes you feel like there's more weight on you. In fact, I saw this meme a few weeks ago and I screenshotted it because I thought it was perfect for this talk. Uh, here's what it says. This, is, this, cra this cracked me up when I first saw it. Religion says this, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. That's what religion says, right? Like if I'm following all these rules, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. But the gospel says I messed up, I need to go call my dad. And when, when you think about our heavenly father, what he wants when we mess up is he wants us to be with him. He wants to make it right. What's super interesting about Adam and Eve is that they mess up, they make this mistake, God asks them where they're at, they're hiding, and then God is going to come in, he's going to step into this, and he could have destroyed them. He could have made them into dust, but instead, he offers them a promise. This is really incredible in verse 10. And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. This is Adam's response. I was afraid because I was naked. Then in verse 11, you can see the brokenness of the Father here, of God. Who told you? Who even told you that you were naked? How did you even know? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Have, have you done it? And this leads us to our fifth thread, and that's this, is that sin ultimately wrecks relationships. So the relationships that we wreck, we wreck them because of sin. The reason why there's brokenness in relationships is sin. In fact, we see the first moment of conflict in any relationship ever here in verse 12. Because what sin often does is it throws other people under the bus. Look at this in verse 12. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Dude, this is like the first marital conflict ever, I'm sure. Because up until this point, what, do, what does Adam and Eve even have to talk about or fight about, right? God's supplying their every need. They're living this blissful life. And then sin enters into the world. And now I guarantee you there was an argument with Adam and Eve after this conversation because Adam directly throws God under the bus, but he also throws Eve under the bus. Then the Lord God asked the woman, well, what have you done? 
And then she, she blames it on the serpent. She says, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's, that's why I ate it. She says this, I bought the lie. I was tempted and I bought the lie. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You'll crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long, as long as you live. And here comes the first mention. So he has this, this brief moment where he talks to the serpent. And then after that, it, it's quick because, he has, because God has nothing else to say to Satan. Nothing else. But that, that's the sixth thread that comes, which is the first mention of a Savior. What I love is, is that immediately after they sin, God is already laying the groundwork for how he's going to make it right. He says this in verse 15. He says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And this is a metaphor for what is to come. The metaphor for Satan will be defeated uh, through an offspring of Eve's. And they, they automatically, Adam and Eve think that it's the, one of their first uh, two boys that are born, Cain or Abel, but what they find out is it'll be generations after they die uh, that out of their family lineage will be born a savior. His name will be Jesus and he will be the one that will undo all that has been done. And what's incredible is, is that that's the seventh thread in the story is the, is the pain and the promise to come. So God tells them, hey, it's no longer unicorns jumping over rainbows anymore. Like, like there's going to be problems. Then he said to the woman, he says, well, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And, it, and in, in pain, you will give birth. And so that's why childbirth is so difficult. And then in verse 16, and you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. And so this, 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 this is that tension of submission here. And then in verse 17, and the man said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. He's like, even the dirt is cursed. And that's why there's weeds. And that's why you can't get rid of dirt in your house. That's why even you'll be buried under dirt someday, right? And so all of your life will be a struggle to scratch a living from it. He just says this, you know, Adam, you know how it used to be easy? for these plants to grow, how it used to be easy to, to work in this garden. From now on, it's going to be work. From now on, you're going to be busting your butt. Verse 18, uh, it will grow thorns and thistles for you. And so if you're ever working out in your garden or trimming up your rose bush, I was doing this a few weeks ago, uh, and I got a thorn in my hand, and then later I was walking around barefoot like a moron, and I stepped on a thorn. I remember thinking, why thorns? Like, God, why did you create? Well, here you go. Though you, will, uh, though you will eat of its grains. And so, again, God is giving them food to eat. He doesn't destroy them. He tells them this is going to be work. And then he gives them a promise. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. If you remember uh, earlier in the story, God creates, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates mankind and he creates them, uh, with, he forms them out of the dust of the earth. And he says, this is, this is where you're going to end up at. For you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will, you will return. The, the last promise, uh, the last thread of this story is that God covered them. I love this. God, God covered them. In, in Genesis chapter 20, or Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve. Isn't that interesting? Up until this point, it's super interesting to me, that up until this point, she didn't have a name, and neither did he. The man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And this is so good. Verse 21. This is the promise to come. 
and I, I need you to understand this. This is another mention of the Savior and our need, uh, our need for a sacrifice. Verse 21, and the Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife. And so God looked at Adam and wife and said, hey, these fig leaves, they're going to get crunchy and old. They're not going to do. And so God sacrifices an animal. And this is the first blood sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, there's all these sacrifices with blood. If you take the time to read through the Old Testament, you may wonder, man, what's up with all the blood? Why do people have to go to the temple with these animals and sacrifice animals so they can be right with God? This sacrificial system started right here on day one of sin and continued on until Jesus went to the cross. In fact, that's the, the whole metaphor here is that God takes animals and kills them and provides the, the fur from the animals to cover their bodies. But ultimately, this is foreshadowing the, the big event that's to come, which is the rescue mission for me and for you. In fact, Hebrews mentions this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. The author of Hebrews says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And man, I, I need you to understand something today. The story of the Bible is a story about me, and it's a story about you. It's not just Adam and Eve. It's not just David and Goliath. It's not just Noah and an ark. It's not just Abraham and a covenant promise. It's a big story. And it's a big story about God wanting to undo all of the stuff that we've done and to offer us forgiveness. I want to encourage you to hang out with us during this sermon series because you may be reminded of, of biblical stories from the past and you never were explained how this is connected to the bigger story the story that you and I find ourselves in, which is this, I need someone to rescue me. I think what's really incredible as we talk about next steps this morning, and really there's just three quick ones, is don't forget where this started and where this ended. That's the first next step that I want you to remember is that this started with a tree and it ended with our savior being hung on a tree, crucified on a tree to make things right between us and God. Man, there's an amazing metaphor there that I don't want you to miss. I think it's beautifully symbolic that, that sin, disobedience is entering into the world by one man. Romans chapter five talks about this. It was one man's disobedience with a tree, and, but another's man, another man's obedience that ends on a tree. Jesus willingly goes to the cross and gets on a wooden tree and dies for us. I mean, the metaphor is unbelievable there. But the, the second thing that you could stop doing is, so don't, don't forget where this started and where this ends. The second thing is, I gotta stop running and hiding. And I think that when we were talking about those four areas that we run and hide, I wonder which one is the one that you go to. Do you just think whenever you're running and hiding from God and experiencing that shame and guilt, do you, do you put it on yourself and go, man, I'm gonna, I don't need God. I don't, I don't need his help. I got, I got this. I'm going to figure this out myself. Is that you? Maybe today's the day that you go, okay, I'm giving that to God. Maybe you're the person that runs to other people. Maybe you're the person that runs to other stuff. And maybe today, or maybe you're the person that even runs to religion. And like, would you just stop it? And instead, just run to your heavenly father. Instead of thinking God's going to kill me, understand something. God just wants to talk to you. He already knows what you've done. Would you just have a moment of humility where you go, God, I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. And the, the third and last thing is that would you receive God's covering? Can you imagine Adam and Eve not receiving what God gave them to cover them up with? Here they are experiencing shame, experiencing regret. They're ushered out of the Garden of Eden. 
And there's a painful process there that God explained to them. But what's amazing is, is God symbolically gives them a promise by giving them clothes to wear. And I wonder today, like, what promise is it that you need to receive from God? It may just be the promise that you don't have to cover yourself, that God's going to cover you. In fact, the biggest thing that God did for me and he did for you is this, is that he covered our sin. He didn't cover it up. He didn't sweep it under the rug. God dealt with our sin by sending his only son, Jesus, from heaven to earth to die for me and to die for you. And at some point in your life, that has to move from like knowledge in your head to knowledge in your heart where you say, okay, God, I'm making you my Lord and my Savior. I'm no longer doing this myself. I'm receiving your gift of forgiveness. I'm receiving your gift of grace. And now I'm no longer in charge. Jesus is. If that's you today and you're ready to take that next step, you can pray a prayer just like this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? You can pray a prayer just like this. God, I'm sorry for what I've made my life about. God, I've been hiding and running and trying to cover my, my guilt and my shame up with, with things and people and myself and even with religion. But God, I haven't included you. And so God, today I, I run to you as my heavenly father and I receive what it is that Jesus did for me. God, today I recognize with what started on a tree back in Genesis chapter 3, ended on a tree with your only son, Jesus. And it was his perfect life in exchange for mine. God, today I confess you and only you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. From now on, you call the shots in my life. I don't. Thank you for saving me and making me a Christian. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all this. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.